and ultimately moving forward, um, going to trial, it did, it did, it did nothing to, to shake me, if you will, in that regard. The bottom line is this. I know I have a very good case. My evidence stands for itself, speaks for itself. My witnesses, um, my case is substantial, it's strong, and it's backed by fact, and it's backed by evidence. The Tesla Q podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended for and should not be used as financial, investment, or trading advice. Research associated with fiscal decisions should be conducted elsewhere. The host of the show possesses no license or credentials to warrant accepting advice based on what is heard on the Tesla Q podcast. Additionally, even though the host and guests may hold positions in companies discussed on the show, they don't have insights into the next time step of the simulation. Therefore, do not make any financial decisions based on the contents of this podcast. Hello and welcome to episode number 51 of the Tesla Q podcast. We have a very special guest today. Uh, we're going to be talking to Carl Hansen again who has spent some time out in Reno, Nevada at the Tesla Gigafactory 1. Uh, we talked to him in episode 43 back in August. If you haven't listened to that, I highly recommend you go back and listen to that and find out more about Carl's background and who Carl Hansen is and uh, why he ended up in the, the position that he was in with Tesla. And if you want to be a contributor to the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash podcast and sign up there. Uh, I, I do hope to start putting some more written articles out on there and more episodes in the near future. So with, with no further ado, we're going to get right into to the interview. So welcome, Carl. Well, thank you, sir. I do appreciate it. Um, I, it's, it's actually uh, another humbling experience, and uh, definitely some time has passed since we chatted last. Um, first and foremost, thank you. Um, and second, can you hear me okay? How are our comms? Yes, I can hear you. There was a, I think there might be a little bit of an echo on your end of, of my audio, so you may want to adjust that. But yeah, so uh, what, what's what's new with Carl? I saw a recent update on the GoFundMe. I yes, yes, you did, and 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 first and foremost, thanks to you, and thank you to everybody out there who's um, who who has been following and paid attention and, and has continued to support me. Um, so what's happening is um, it was time to it was time to make a decision, and um, I. You know, there were some questions about, I had seen out there, you know, why did I stay in, in Reno so long, different things like that. Um, it, it's time to move on. And I have, I have been trying to get back into federal service. It's been, it's been a long time, quite frankly. And if, you know, and I'm sure there's listeners out there who can attest to um, federal service being a challenge to apply and, 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 you know, ultimately succeed in getting a position and it's always easier when you're on the inside. And I've got a lot of years on the inside. However, um, I've been outside of it for a while. So it's been an arduous task. And having said that, um, you know, I've been applying all over for a lot of work. Um, I think my update prior to the last one, uh, I talked a little bit about um, having the opportunity to go back to Alaska and speak at a university up there um, regarding uh, my, you know, what it's like uh, as a whistleblower, my experiences, different things like that. During that, uh, during that trip, uh, I was fortunate enough to meet with some former colleagues um, and friends, and they had uh, pointed me in the direction of some positions that were open back up in Alaska. And I had applied to 
multiple positions up there. And the short story is I was offered an opportunity to go to work uh, in Anchorage at the Veterans Administration with the VA Police Department. Um, that was kind of the first first opportunity that opened itself up. Um, and bottom line is that was the decision I made. So uh, that's what I'm doing. That's kind of where we're going. You know, leaving leaving Reno doesn't mean uh, Mr. Musk is off my radar by any means. Just to clarify, the reality is that um, I spent a good part of my career in, in public service and federal service, taking care of veterans and taking care of people. And I think that um, in addition to that, it's been the impact on my kids, which I talked to. It's been pretty significant. Um, the emotional, I'll just be honest, the emotional drain um, associated with this for the past almost two years, uh, has been, has been substantial. And because I've been so focused on what I need to do and making sure that, um, you know, this takes precedent, I've, I've been pretty remiss in, um, my ability and my willingness, or I say my ability, if you will, to keep open communications and comms with my kids. So my kids are up in Alaska. I'm going back to Alaska, going to go back into the federal system and, um, we're going to drive on. And we're going to follow this through. It doesn't mean I'm off the radar. It just means I'm a little bit of, yeah, I'm out of the lower 48. And uh, Alaska's kind of a, for anybody who's been there, they probably can attest to the fact that it's a magical place, um, indescribable. And um, so that's what I'm doing, brother. So, so you have a little bit of a family reunion and get to see your kids more, but yeah. you're, not, you're not going to stop the, uh, the pursuit of of what's right with the Gigafactory. No, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, you know, as has been talked about, um, and, and I guess talked about on my, my updates and, and different things, it, you know, when people talk about what's Carl doing and, and he's out there quiet and there's not much from him. And I think we talked about that before. There's a reason for that. Um, not going to dwell on it, get into the weeds. It has to do with credibility. It has to do with professionalism and it has to do with, um, the fact that I'm in this game, uh, this long game with Musk. And, you know, I'm part of ongoing investigations that, that have been continuing for a long time. And in addition to that, I've, I'm still conducting my own investigative activity. I have up until this point. And so, I mean, that's kind of the answer on that. Yeah. And just within the last week, uh, there's been a lot of people on Twitter that have pointed out that a certain lawyer has possibly spent a little too much time on Twitter talking about his case. Uh, on the front end, it seemed kind of braggadocious and like he thought that he had a good chance of winning the case for his client. And subsequent to the case ending, it's been a lot more like capitulation and like he's groveling to appease a settlement from the opposing side. But... I think I think everyone knows who I'm talking about, but I'm not going to say the names because apparently that gets you off the hook for everything. So uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that verdict uh, that that recently well, came down, but but if you do, I, go I, ahead, talk about it. I will share that I I followed that um, I followed that case like a hawk. Um, I I followed, but you know, Twitter's kind of my it's my go-to daily um, read, if you will, and um, I followed that extensively. And I'll tell you that, you know, right up until here's Carl's opinion. Um, listen, I'm just an investigator. I'm not a lawyer. But at the end of the day, um, going up and leading up to that, we saw 
with that representation, um, we saw that attorney get some pretty significant uh, wins, if you will, uh, pre-trial, right? Um, yeah, moving I, up. It was crazy. It was, it was I, like the first time that anybody has ever done this. Yeah, I, I definitely saw a lot of information in the evidence that corroborated my opinions about a certain CEO and it, ultimately they didn't matter in the end for the verdict, but go ahead. I, no, I, it, it, and that's, that's, that's bizarre, right? Mm -hmm. Bizarre. It's actually very bizarre. In my opinion, I, I uh, like, I see like, it's like a lot of people. I was, I was absolutely dumbfounded. However, well, let's just let's just say what it is. I mean, we we had some folks out there that were at the trial that we follow. Um, and after day one, you know, seeing that report, I, I was kind of taken aback, quite honestly. And um, I thought, I. well, yeah, I think you, me, I, th I think <laughs> hundreds, if not thousands of people. I mean, we're the main mm -hmm. players, right? Definitely and, hundreds and thought, of people. Definitely hundreds. And I thought, OK, uh, maybe a maybe a bad day, maybe, you know, something along those lines. But uh, as time progressed, and ultimately, let's just take that to where it is now. Um, yeah, I, all I can tell you, without getting into details and specifics and, uh, you know, naming certain things, I was, I am perplexed. I am dumbfounded. I am absolutely amazed. Um, furthermore, I guess what adds to that is, is the response that we now see. Um, out there. And, um, I, again, I'm not a lawyer, right? Let me caveat anything I say. And, and, and I'm not a lawyer, but at the end of the day, seems to me there was some stuff really missed. Um, I, and I wasn't in the courtroom. I, you know, wasn't on the stand, but, uh, in talking to lawyers that I'm friends with and counsel that I'm associated with and as, as well as just buddies uh, who have been in the legal world and the law enforcement community, we kind of share a collective thought that something is awry. And I don't know if we'll ever know what that is. So ultimately did, did that case and how it played out, did it, did it give you more confidence? Did it give you less confidence? And was there anything from that whole process, like the pretrial evidence that came out that, that could contribute to some of your ongoing activities? That's, that's some good questions. Um, from a, from a standpoint of confidence with respect to my case and ultimately moving forward, um, going to trial, it did, it did, it did nothing to, to shake me, if you will, in that regard. Um, the bottom line is this, I know I have a very good case. My evidence stands for itself, speaks for itself. My witnesses and, and, and the bottom line without getting into all of that. And again, people are going to say, well, why don't, why doesn't this guy, why, why the hell doesn't he say what he, why doesn't he tell us? Because I can't folks understand that. And, and there's a myriad of reasons. Um, and it's not, that's not being arrogant at all, but, um, my case is substantial. It's strong and it's backed by fact and it's backed by evidence. And, um, I think in, in the case that we were just talking about, um, you know, counsel, counsel is, um, uh, counsel is key. And if, again, not see, not being a part of all of that. We, we really don't know what we don't know, um, including myself. So we, we're all speculating, right? 
including myself, speculating mm-hmm. on opinion, speculating on experience. And um, absent any, I don't know, any further information from either of the parties, either the plaintiff, plaintiff's counsel, I mean, aside from what plaintiff's counsel's out there putting out, um, we are, it seems, only left to our own devices. So with respect to myself, you know, nothing shook me there. No, I've got a strong case. Um, and and go ahead, there were a couple other things you asked um, that I kind of lost track of. What were the last couple points uh, you made with respect to that? Just whether there was anything from the, the evidence that became public with that, that that might help your case or hurt your case. Like like one thing in particular is the, the hiring of the private investigator and that tactic that was used. And I don't know if there may be similar tactics that might play into your case. Maybe you may not be able to say, but. Sure. Okay. Thanks for the clarification. With respect to that specifically, I would say, well, first let me say that the, the, our two cases are at, at this I mean, they're totally and completely different, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's not a libel. It's not a defamation case on my end. Um, however, the tactics, techniques, and procedures outlined with respect to hiring the private investigator and hiring uh, I will say that those are absolutely 100% consistent with uh, Mr. Musk's MO, uh, Tesla's operational standards um, in my experience and in my situation. And that's as far as I'll go with that. Yeah. And for a reference for that, the the Jacobs letter from Uber would be a good reference. It is. It actually is an amazing, uh, amazing reference. Um, and, and, and I highly encourage people. I don't think that that I was asked not too long ago, you know, there's one thing that hasn't gotten enough traction, right? Um, what is it? And it's, it's that connection. People need to take that back to the two whistleblowers from Uber. They need to go back to Rick Jacobs, the Uber, uh, excuse me. And the, the whistleblower prior to him, um, and they need to really follow that, follow the Jacobs letter. And and the former whistleblower, his name was, um, hang on, uh, Samuel Ward, Samuel Ward something or other. I'll come up with it. Uh, Spangenberg, Samuel Ward Spang, Spangenberg or Spangberg. Anyway, this guy was the first to come forward um, to prior to Rick Jacobs. And in doing so, uh, he had made significant allegations along the same lines of the illegal and criminal activity that Uber had employed um, with respect to wiretapping, hacking, different things like that. Um, I'm going to go ahead and let, I mean, that's what I got from media sources. That's what I've got in my own legal research pertaining to Spangenberg. But ultimately, the Uber, the Jacobs letter, you know, that information, that letter, uh, information pertaining to that was withheld by Uber's general counsel. It was withheld from um, uh, you know, from from the trial judge, from the uh, opposing counsel in the in the Waymo Uber litigation, it's a very very good read. People need to follow up and look into that because it was those same players after after everything went down with Uber, and what we'd like to say is that the, the crap started hitting the fan, and multiple there were federal investigations ongoing by the FBI and the Department of Justice with respect to that. Those folks jumped ship. And the first one over there um, at Tesla was Jeff Jones. And subsequently, the rest of them came on board. And ultimately, throughout my investigations, what I've learned is that uh, these individuals 
um, you know, we were all told that they were Tesla employees. They were new Tesla employees, and they, in fact, were put on. They were listed on Tesla's internal, you know, uh, global organizational chart. The fact was, they were contractors with a company called Nisos, and there's several of them out there. So, anyway, that's as far as I'll go on that. People need to read that and take a look at that. It speaks for itself. And uh, what I what I can tell you is that what I observed during my tenure, what I've reported was absolutely consistent with uh, a lot of the information, a lot of the behaviors that were portrayed and outlined in the Jacobs letter. Almost consistent verbatim. All right. Um, next question I'm going to ask is a little little lighter question, just to mix it up a little bit. So y- you mentioned that you read Twitter a lot. You don't, yeah. you don't post <laughs> on there, of course, but you do read it. So when you read yep. Twitter... What are what are some of the favorite accounts that you have, both from an informational perspective and from a humor perspective? Wow, good question. Um, favorite Twitter accounts. Oh, wow, that's tough. It it really is. And and let me just say that the truth is, I, I'll be honest. You know, I I knew what Twitter was, right? I had no clue who or what the hell this phenomenon called Tesla Q was, even a year and a half ago. Shit, man, I I didn't even know what the Tesla stock ticker was. I had to Google what a Q meant, to be honest with you. You know, so mm-hmm. before all this went down, I followed, and I followed normal people. You know, my, my favorite accounts were ultra marathon runners and people would do that, you know, free climbers, inspiring wounded warriors and stuff like that. It's kind of, that was kind of my gig. And anybody that checks out my Twitter will be like, wow, this guy's, he doesn't say anything, but you'll see, you know, there's some, probably a lot of ultra marathon stuff. Anyway, all I read on Twitter is related to Tesla, Musk, etc. the entire show out there. So uh, I'll tell you what, man, the, the phenomenon is astounding. You know, it, I think Tesla Q is historic, really. And um, the, the community, regardless of the differing motivations or the areas of expertise, you know, the frequency or the level of contributions, it's, 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 quite, a, it's quite a collection of brilliance, you know, wisdom, common sense. I mean, just what I take from that community um, is that, that, that they're just kind of real people, good people trying to do the right thing. And uh, top it off, the humor, the humor's off the charts. I, I, I will <laughs> say there are days that I'm literally reading a lot. I'm reading all the cute books, you know. Um, I, I'm in tears and I'm just cracking up. Um, can I say I have a favorite account or favorite accounts? Uh, probably not. I mean, everybody brings something to the table that's unique. Um, and there's value in that, right? I think, mm-hmm. you know, th- there's so much value in that, particularly depending on the current topic or what, what's hot out there and what's trending. With that said, though, let me just let me just go ahead. I'm going to throw this out there. Who doesn't love Tesla charts, right? TC is mm-hmm. the man. OK, <laughs> so and he and, uh, and for a quick plug, he's got a, a podcast coming out soon. He did point out that it's not meant to compete with the QTR podcast or with this podcast, <laughs> but to compliment. Oh. So. uh I think it'll be out. I think he was originally planning to release it in January, but I think I think that might, may be moving to the left a little bit. So we we may get a, a chart cast before the year's over. So that will be awesome. I actually saw that last night um, when I was scrolling through, and I said, "Wow, you know." And then Montana skeptic, right? Like, see, I I wasn't even tuned in during the Montana the Montana skeptic days. You know, I was out mm. there doing my own thing, but now that that dude's returned. 
I, I got to tell you, I've read some things. I find myself fascinated by his genius. Uh, him and Charts, um, I mean, those guys are those guys are on it. And I, I forgot the mm-hmm. I forgot what it was. It was like a thirty minute documentary that came out not too long. I don't know a while ago, the and I watched Real, real Vision, maybe. Yeah, yep, the Real Vision thing. I thought that was that was pretty squared away, man. Absolutely. Uh, so, so you know, and I obviously track the accounts of whistleblowers, you know, closely. Christina Balan, Melina Lakowski. I mean, uh, uh, well, Pac Watson, Anna Watson, mm-hmm. um, you know, the people who struggle that, that, that I've followed that I can, I can relate to quite frankly. Um, because I do, I empathize, I sympathize with those folks and many others who even aren't out there on Twitter that I'm aware of. And that a lot of people are also aware of in their own, in their own way. Um, and their own interactions, you know? Um, and then you got plain sight, right? Plain sight, <laughs> that dude, plain sight. <laughs> He doesn't quit. Uh, yeah. He, no. That, that, he, he has no quit in him whatsoever. Zero. Zero. And he's got guts, you see. Mm-hmm. He's got guts. Like, like everybody in Q, I'll be honest with you. All those folks I mentioned, yourself, plain sight. But he doesn't quit. He's got tenacity. Um, and he's a huge resource. He's doing an invaluable service. Um, mm-hmm. I, I can tell you that. Um, and not, uh, not just related to Tesla either. I mean, he's. No, no. Absolutely. He's got a pretty diverse thing yep. that he's going after so he does and i and that's that's part of what i what i kind of it's actually a large part of what i like about him is um it took a little while to get into you know who's this plain sight guy but now he's uh he's pretty squared away and then of course there's yourself let me just tell you i gotta throw you out there um you're awesome i follow thank you me. i appreciate that thank um, you I... you're welcome uh, absolutely oh my gosh <sighs> who else I, and I think I think I'd be remiss if I didn't if I didn't talk a little bit about uh, probably probably the media, uh, some some journalists uh, that I've had contact with and I've spoken with. Um, I follow, you know, Russ Mitchell, um, Charlie Grant, definitely uh, Laura Kolodny, um, our guy here in Reno, the Reno Gazette Journal, Ben Spillman. Uh, he's a great dude, man. Spent some time with him. And then, of course, Matthew Klippenstein. What a great article he put out. Ed Niedermeyer. Ryan mm-hmm. Mack, Lynette Lopez, to name a few. Um, and then you got you got Mike Flores, right? Everybody knows Mike Flo. Mike Flo is always sticking up for me, always has my back. Uh, Mike is squared away. Um, gosh, Cassandra, I- Tesla Q, Paul Whitwos, um, Luis Carruthers, Professor mm-hmm. Piehead. Oh, my God. These are, these are like the names, the big names. You know, Donna Walker, Outlandish Bullshit. G650 secured. I mean, those are those are some primaries. Um, God, I I, I got others. Um, oh, you know what? You know who I love. I, I'll be honest with you. And this is this is a good story. It's a true story. So I love me some Sam Antar. Right? I had mm-hmm. no idea who the hell Sam Antar was. I was born in Long Island, grew up in Long Island, New York. And here's this is no no crap. So I Crazy I didn't Eddie. I Crazy Eddie's. I grew up in Long Island, New York. My dad used to take us down to Crazy Eddie's. We, I, our houses, my dad, my grandparents, uncles, aunts, everybody bought everything they had from Crazy Eddie's back in the day. And so here I am. Now, how many years later? I'm going to be 48 years old. I mean, this is ridiculous. So I started following Sam. I didn't know his story. I knew nothing about it. But the dude rocks. I had no idea. But it's crazy. It's a small world, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it, we used to, those commercials were all over it. It was, it was, I will tell you, it was so... 
wow, now that I think about it, and I'm telling you this, it's almost, uh, it was almost cult-like. It's almost kind of like the Tesla phenomenon, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess, <laughs> I, I guess if you're going to run a fraudulent company, it's good to have a, a cult that you can steer in a direction. <laughs> Absolutely. No, seriously. But, uh, I, God, that I, just I, dawned on me. I need to have oh. Sam on the podcast sometime, actually. You you really should. Um, and I'll tell you, you know, I, I'd love to actually crack his brain at some point. I'd love to talk to the guy. Um, he, he's brilliant as well. Um, and, 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 you know, he's one of those folks. You just you just listen to what they say. You read what they say. You take, you, you, you take it, and you're like, yep, okay, can't question this. Oh, my God. Um, it, 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 when he has the you know, the ball's the only shit. You know what I mean? I hate saying it like that, but I mean, that's, that's stand up. God, mm-hmm. some others. Let me just think. I, I don't want to leave anybody out because there are, there's probably about 20 or 30 of these accounts that I follow regularly. Bloodsport, Bloodsport Capital. Um, you got Wall Street Cynic. God, who else? Ed McCabe. He's always funny as hell. Ed doesn't hold any, mm-hmm. any, yep. anything back. My God. Polly, Polixony. I don't even know how you say that. Machine Planet, Elon Bachman. Mm-hmm. Um, those are all I can come off the top of my head with right now. Maybe a uh, Wall Street cynic. I don't know if I said him, but and Glenn yeah. Tong. Yeah, Wall Street cynic. He's 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 a pretty well known guy. Uh, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll definitely. So these are folks that I <laughs> <laughs> these are folks that I follow, man. These are folks. Mm-hmm. And let me apologize now. You know, if I'm remiss, if I miss anybody, believe me, I'm reading your stuff. Um, I am, but anyway. So that's kind of. It's kind of my answer there. Yeah, Twitter is kind of a, uh, you know, basically humor, information. Um, it kind of covers for me all of those areas, if you will. Like I said, these are, these are you know, when you weed through the crap, if you've been around a while, you, you can pretty much do that. Um, you, you, know who, you know who the real people are. You know who the real deal folks are. Mm-hmm. And, and I get a sense that y'all are good people, truly good people doing the right thing. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. Because I, you know, and from, I'm just going to say, I, I, this isn't what dumbfounds me is the lack of enforcement, regulatory enforcement, um, with respect to this this entire situation. But I'm not going to go on down that road right now. Um, you know, uh, but there is just so much that is obvious and in everybody's face. And, and when we talk about the substance and the knowledge base of those folks inside Tesla Q who have been doing this for years, who understand it, not, not just this, who've been, been involved in the business world, who've been involved in, um, you know, investing, whatever it is, Wall Street, these people know what they're talking about. And then the whole oh, yeah, short sellers, it, 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 in my mind, that, uh, that bears no relevance to anything, quite frankly. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, it's just something for, uh, you know, folks on the other end of that who are probably doing bad things, um, gives them something to, to complain about, I guess. I don't know. I'll shut up. Moving on. <laughs> so. uh, one quick follow-up from the, the list of people you mentioned. Mike yeah. Flores, uh, yep. did you did you meet him subsequent to becoming a whistleblower, or did you already know him before that? Or how did you meet? Hold on. I, I, I knew Mike just prior to becoming a whistleblower. I, I knew Mike when I got to Reno. Okay. Yeah, good friend. All right. Uh, next question that I have here is, what action requested from you was the deal breaker that ultimately caused you to definitively say that you were 
ready to blow the whistle? What action requested of me was the was the deal breaker that caused or, me or to? Or was 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 there a single instance, or was it just the culmination of of multiple things? So, I think that let me say that the initial the initial I wasn't requested to perform any action. In fact, I when I was told that I would not talk to law enforcement and report these felony crimes that were ongoing and had risen to a level that I felt was significant and, and, and required the involvement of multiple law enforcement agencies. That was the first initial huge red flag. And that just continued to spiral from there. And once I realized that, you know, moving forward a little bit, you know, into the June time frame when I saw what was going on with Martin Tripp, um, you know, that had, that had kind of sealed the deal for me, um, repeatedly being told that I wouldn't talk to anybody, stop doing investigation, stop looking into this, you're not going to talk to law enforcement, blah, blah, blah. That was it for me. It, it doesn't take much. Um, and, and, you know, had I been Joe Blow, had I not been in law enforcement, had I not spent a career doing this, um, maybe I would have been like, oh, geez, okay. But no, no, that was enough for me. I mean, I knew right then and there, and, I, and I, I, I'd been able to see the writing on the wall. I could see what was going on around me. So, I mean, I, I think that's that's probably the best I'm going to give you on that right now. But if there was no, I wasn't tasked to perform anything specifically criminally or fraudulently, or in fact, they, they, they knew better than to even approach me to try and do something like that or to participate in anything like that. I think that's part of the reason that I was ostracized and marginalized and, you know, just set out to pasture, if you will. So did did they just, did they assume that you would just, be on the payroll and just be hanging out or, or something? I think initially, um, did they assume I'd be on the payroll and was just hanging out? Sure. I, I, I will say that I, I believe that certain people, um, in certain roles and capacities probably assumed that that would be initially, that's what I would do. Carl would go along and get along just like everybody else. that was an investigator there and not rock the boat. Um, but nobody else that was an investigator there had any law enforcement experience and nor did they have any experience in conducting the types of felony level investigations that needed to be done. You know, I was encouraged to do investigations thoroughly and initially and, and, uh, you know, when the Uber thugs came over, I'm sorry, the Uber guys, when Elon brought those guys over, um, you know, the former CIA guys, you know, NSA, I see all, I know what, whatever it is, these guys, things changed real quick. And that's when I started to get shut down. And I was told that, um, at the end of the day that, uh, they were there too. Um, their goal was to identify and mitigate the insider threat. So there was actually a shift within the corporate culture, it seems like. Absolutely, sounds, there was a shift like. in the corporate culture. It was absolutely when those guys came over, it was, it was, it was definitely yeah, there was definitely a shift, and it was it was immediate. And remember, this is the Model Three ramp up time, right? Mm-hmm. So there was all that going on, and I'm not going to get into the things that I was told about that and blah blah blah. But maybe we'll get to that at some point or some parts of it. But but prior to that shift, they were they they wanted you to actually do investigations and protect the company's resources and all that kind of stuff. And I was hired to do investigations and protect the company resources. And I was given, you know, the stand, the initial 
okay, here's what we're working on. Here's what we've got in the hopper type of thing. And then I was pulled aside and given these um, significant high profile, I was told, investigations. Um, and that those investigations, uh, based on my expertise and background, were being given to me for that purpose. Um, so, uh, yeah, but I, I will share with this, one of the challenges I had um, was that, you know, we did, did, I had a, I, I had a, I guess, if you will, a, a problem. I was concerned at the fact that there were things being investigated that were a waste of time, energy, and resources. When our job was to, to, to protect the company, the assets, and the resources, we had people investigating the theft of a maple donut and a can of Coke that was left somewhere by somebody. And there were a lot of those. I mean, just ridiculous investigations that did not rise to the level. And it depended on who reported it. See, mm -hmm. so, so if a supervisor from somewhere came down and said, hey, you know, somebody stole my lunch off the thing. I went to the bathroom. I left it in the cafeteria. Guess what? That's now a tier one or a tier two investigation. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding? You, you, I come in and you tell me we've got rampant theft of millions of dollars of stuff here. And now you want me to investigate a, a missing donut? Seriously? So that was problematic. And I'm not going to expound more upon that right now. All right. Um, during your time there, was there anything that you participated in that that would be considered questionable or worthy of the whistle being blown that you regret being a part of or your, mm. your role in? You know what? That's a, that's a, that's a pretty candid question. It's a good question. Um, no, absolutely not. Unequivocally. No, there was nothing that I participated in that I have any regrets uh, in being part of, nor did I participate in anything um, that would be deemed questionable with respect to whistleblowing and as it relates to the allegations that I, that I laid out in both my SEC complaint um, as well as uh, within my federal civil complaint. Nothing at all, period. Pretty, pretty clear answer there. In whatever ways you're comfortable saying, how did the items that you blew the whistle on relate to the items that Martin Tripp reported? I, I think there's some pretty pretty clear differences between the two, but... Wow, that's a I, good question, too. Can, can, you, can you repeat that for me? In, in whatever ways that I was comfortable saying, how did items I blew the whistle on refer or relate to Tripp? Yeah, where, are, is there any overlap? Or are they, I mean, it's, it, it may be two totally separate issues, because his, I think, was more uh, related to battery cells, maybe being defective and yours mm -hmm. was more the the theft of materials and that kind of thing sure sure that makes sense so so yeah there, there are a lot of similarity or differences with respect to trips um uh at the end of the day the one thing that trip pointed out and it was was talked about was the the mass amounts of scrap and i want to clarify that people talk about scrap and they think this is just general garbage and this it's not so the the, the general terminology you know, at the time I was there, used around the Gigafactory, referring to anything that, whether it was copper wire, whether it was um, uh, drive unit um, housing components, whether it was drive unit internal components, whether it was plastic components for the Model 3 battery, whatever, all of that was generally categorized as scrap. It was referred to as scrap. So there were a lot of similarities, similar, similarities there, um, and, and there are a lot of similarities, I assume, well, I say I want to assume, but with respect to the the amount reported, the quantities, um, and the value thereof, um, the other part that resonated with me with respect to the Martin Tripp case, and that I think is that overlaps, 
um, is without getting into too much detail, you know, the, the police reports were recently released, you know, uh, plain sight mm-hmm. released some stuff about trip and whatnot. And there had been, been commentary and, and, and it's, you can go through and read depositions of different things. The bottom line is, um, you know, Tesla and Musk hired private investigators to surveil, to follow, to do things. I were to, uh, you know, to pretty much, uh, go after Martin Tripp. Um, so, and they were doing things that, um, I was aware of. And at the end of the day, that's, that's kind of where I'll leave that. All right. Um, let's see. Any other things that you would like to share about those police reports that were released? I don't know. It it may be tough for you to relate. Well, related to trip or the ones related to the thefts recently. Uh, I guess the theft was maybe more so. What I will share is that, um, I think those police reports speak for themselves. I think the officers, um, being quoted in those reports with respect to specific things like PR concerns are valid. I've had those reports for a long time and, um, Tesla will not cooperate with law enforcement. That's a fact, been a fact. And, uh, the reason is, well, it's kind of laid out in those, at least one of those police reports that I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. All right. What, uh, what thought process did you go through when deciding definitively that you would be a whistleblower and, and was there any, at, did you have doubts about actually coming forward or, or was it a clear cut decision in your head? Ah, that also is a really good question. And, and, you know, hindsight being what it is, um, I'm going to try my best to say, you know, my, my thoughts at the time, when I knew that things were amiss, when I knew that I had been identified and targeted, when I knew that I was being shut down, um, I knew what was going on. Uh, I mean, it, it wasn't my first time in dealing with this type of scenario. However, this was a unique level of that. Um, so what went through my mind first and foremost was, holy crap, yeah, this is coming down. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I, 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 I need an income. Um, I can see the writing on the wall. And um, at the end of the day, I knew what I had to do to investigate to protect myself. And that's what I began doing. Um, and I stated that in our previous podcast and, mm-hmm. and, and as well as investigating for others and, and, and talking to others because I was aware of other people at that time. Um, so those things went through my mind. First and foremost was reaching out, contacting them, talking to them, individuals I'd spoken to, whatever, um, investigating different things. Um, so the risk, uh, you know, I, I didn't look at it as a risk. Um, I knew what was potentially going to come didn't know it would be to the level it was, but at the end of the day, the, 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 it wasn't a, it wasn't a risk reward scenario. It was doing the right thing because it was the right thing to do. And, um, I just wasn't going to be impugned like that, to be quite frank with you. Um, it, it didn't matter to me who it was. It just happens to be Musk. It just happens to be Tesla, you know? Mm-hmm. 
As you said, I'm so a... I stopped, I assessed. That's what I did. Evaluated and I made a plan. Yeah. As you said on the last interview, right is right. I mean, right and wrong exist and they're pretty, yeah. pretty clear a lot of the time. They, they are. They are. Um, don't get me wrong. I mean, it was hard. I thought about that. I knew, I, I mean, I knew, I knew it was going to be tough. I knew it'd be, I, I knew. I just, you, there's things you know, you ever just know, you know, something. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And you knew. I, you know, I, look what they did to trip, you know, right before I came out and, and, mm-hmm. and filed my stuff. I mean, I, 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 I could see that writing on the wall the whole way. I was tracking it, following it, and and monitoring it. And so, yeah, um, those were concerns. Those were concerns. And and the position that you were in, you there was no way that you could have like helped protect Martin Tripp or anything like that, right? Wait, say that. I was just going to finish my statement. So, you know, because I was tracking that, I, I kind of felt that they did. You know, they, they, they knew what I knew. They knew my background, and I didn't think that they. They knew better to, to, to try and pull that same crap on me, I think, you know. Maybe I'm wrong, but anyway, so go on with your, your questionnaire. I'm sorry. Oh, I, I was just going to say the the role that you were in when the, the trip stuff was going on, you you were not in a position to be able to, to help him at that time, right? I was an internal investigator inside. No, at that time. Actually, no, I, I didn't. I, I never met him either. I uh, never participated in any of that. I just happened to be there the day of the incident, the alleged active shooter threat. And then since you were both whistleblowers, you both ended up uh, filing SEC whistleblower complaints with the same attorney. Yeah, tr- truth be told, I, I I, mean, I knew who Martin Tripp was. I knew of him. I saw what went down. Everything went down with me. Um and at the end of the day, uh, I just happened to be, yeah, yeah that's essentially it. I, I, I reached out to uh, Stu Meisner because I knew he had visibility on some stuff. Um, and ultimately, here we are. But at the end of the day, I never talked to Tripp, um, never even made an attempt to. Uh, unfortunately, I, I didn't. Um, I wanted to do. That was my goal. I uh, was hoping to be able to talk to Martin Tripp, but... Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I had talked to Stu Meisner initially, and I won't get into any of that conversation, but ultimately here we are. And and your two separate cases are are two separate cases. Like, they're not combined. No, uh, no. And, again, with the SEC, remember, it's, it's, it's not a lawsuit, per se. We filed it. We, we, we reported what we call a tip, right? Um, so it's, it's information that we believe um, should be reported to regulators that is – allegedly been withheld um, by a publicly traded organization or company um, that shareholders should be aware of. So no, totally, totally different, totally different cases. There may be some overlap um, and whatnot. um, But at the end of the day, they're, they're completely different, if you will. Um, Two two separate tips. Two separate tips, two totally separate related areas. Yeah. Anyway, I don't want to go down the road too much into that. All right. Um, I mean, I did so, put out a release or, or, or an update a while ago that you know everybody knows that I was depoted in the trip matter. So, 
All right. Uh, with some of the police reports that became public over the last couple of weeks, there was the uh, the listing about the the copper that was stolen allegedly, uh, and there was also the the news article in the Reno Gazette Journal. I think is the name of the paper. So, right. That would be Ben Spillman. Yep. And so I remember from your from reading the Sarbanes Oxley uh, employment lawsuit of yours that there was thirty seven million to one hundred fifty million dollars of stolen items. Uh, so there was a, a thread on Twitter that that was discussing this and like calculating the number of tons of copper that would be and the number of truckloads it would have to be. So to the extent that you're able, could you expound on like how much of, of the amount of materials that was stolen was copper specifically versus other things, what other types of things it might've been and how, how such an amount of material could be stolen without being tracked or adequately tracked, I guess. Okay, that's a, that's a great question. It's kind of multifaceted, multi-pronged, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will say that um, I saw that thread. I read it uh, quite a bit, spent some time, and I saw a lot of people calculating and doing different things and, and coming up with these. That like, oh, God, that's just copper, and that'd be 40,000, I don't know, 40 trucks or wh- whatever it was. Look, at the time I was out there, I, I can't tell anybody – how many trucks, how many pounds, you know, different things like that. Um, at the end of the day, there was a lot of copper being taken and it was being taken out by the truckload. And that was in privately owned vehicles. That was in commercial vehicles. Um, this stuff was being staged, um, in, in contractor lay down yards. I think some of the reports that were out there, some of the information that were, I think plain sight put out pertaining to these police reports, statements by contractors, um, the Lynn Thompson lawsuit that was just recently filed in Washoe County pertaining to this, all of that is relevant. I'm not going to give numbers and specifics. Um, but what I will say is that people were solely focused on, yep, copper wire, copper wire, commercial copper. This stuff was one inch. This was just big stuff. That's just a small aspect of what we're talking about. I, I don't know if it's small, but it's an aspect when we talk about scrap, the information that I received with respect to that 37 to $150 million um, worth of scrap, copper was a primary, primary, primary item being stolen regularly, consistently organized um, in the efforts and at times. And, and, and over a period of time, I presume. Correct. Definitely. Correct. And so, you know, up to the point that I came in there, you know, I will say that when I was initially tasked to look into this, you know, the folks that I was speaking to inside investigations were saying, well, you know, we got this, we got all these, we've got all these sporadic thefts of this copper here. And there. I mean, just cases and cases and cases of this theft here, this, this spool of wire, this trailer worth of what, you know, spools of wire here, there. And I, I started taking a look at this and I went back and I, you know, I grasped it out and I, I, and I said, wait a minute, this is, you know, these aren't just onesies and twosies. This, there's more of a pattern here. You know, this is, this is, this is organized. This is not, 
this is not something that's sporadic. Uh, you get a couple contractors, a couple laborers coming in, you know, and, and throwing some stuff in the back of their truck and going to the recycling yard. No, not at all. That was my opinion. Um, and, and ultimately, it's no secret that uh, Lynn Thompson came out uh, and filed this lawsuit and um, was terminated for reporting. Um, I, I had worked with Lynn for probably almost 11 months um, after that uh, behind the scenes. So at the end of the day, um, there were other things. There were, you know, uh, uh, machined aluminum parts, um, like I talked earlier with respect to um, drive unit housings, drive unit components, multiple things. Um, my gosh, I forgot what they call them, uh, rotors. A lot of these copper parts that uh, spun copper that were literally in these huge um, shipping crates, boxes, if you will, just huge, like I don't know, three and a half by three and a half by four foot tall, just hundreds of them, hundreds of them all over, just full of scrap material. They had no place to, to put this stuff. So um, at the end of the day, there were those parts. There were battery components. There were, there were battery cylinders, battery cylinders. There were, there were wiring harnesses. There were plastic components that made up the final assembly. There was the theft of high-end carbon fiber um, components that were specially ordered from Germany that came over that I was tasked to investigate whole container. Of these things was, and they were very expensive, um, shut down production and oh man, it was huge. So th- th- there's a lot of stuff. I'm not going to get into it, um, into more of that. Um, at the end of the day, that's, that's kind of all I want to say right now about that. I hope you respect that and understand that, but mm-hmm. it wasn't just copper. And it wasn't Johnny cash building, uh, 40, 40- <laughs> or uh, forty nine, fifty, fifty one, fifty two, uh, <laughs> by taking one one piece at a time in the no, the no, no. Song sure, there were those, right? There were those, right? But no, that wasn't that. It's a great song. I, <laughs> Johnny Cash is awesome, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I love singing along with that song. Actually, oh man, Lord. Um, okay, so all this all this stuff was being stolen systematically. Mm-hmm. It sounds like. Uh, did 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 you have did you ever get to the point of figuring out where it was going when it left the the gigafactory? So probably, uh, yeah. I, I will say that um, you know I I told you I'd been shut down for a while. Don't report. Don't report. Um, after my primary witness came came forth with respect to this and 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 tied together a whole bunch of pieces and players. Um, and provided me with evidentiary documentation, different things. Um, I immediately went to my supervisor and several others and said, look, we have probable cause. And I was definitely, definitely supported by another supervisor there. We have probable cause now that this is more organized. It's highly organized. Um, and not only are we talking about theft, we were talking about several other high-level potential crimes um, felonies, uh, with respect to different frauds, fraud, whatever. I'm not going to get into all of that, but I will say that, um, (laughs) when I, when I, during the course of my investigation, after that individual came forward, um, and interviewing several other senior, um, employees who had been in the industry for a long time, been out there for a while, um, I was told that um, 
this stuff was being taken by truckload to Tesla's recycling yard. And I said, Tesla's recycling yard? I said, what do you mean, Tesla's? Tesla doesn't have a recycling yard. And I questioned several people about this, and they said all they know is they were told that, uh, you know, when this stuff leaves here, um, these scraps, uh, you know, when they take them, they're, they're, they're taking them to Tesla's recycling yard. And I said, well, hey, where? I know one in California, and then they, they mentioned Las Vegas, a place in Vegas. And I started looking into that and was shut down. But I found it curious that senior folks involved in contracting contracts, um, the award of said contracts, as well as other things, um, you know, superintendents, senior folks involved with electrical electrical construction and different things out there, um, you know, had reported that, um, that, that, that they'd been told by certain people that when they take, when, when the trucks go out of here, they go to Tesla's recycling yard. So bizarre to me that's all i can say bizarre to me um so do you have any idea if when these parts left the gigafactory if they were resold for cash versus used in some process or or, do you have any idea about that or or not i do not i do not know what happened to those products that were you know sent out in a scrap truck sent out in a 53 foot dry van. Um, and, and furthermore, even if I did, it's nothing I can disclose right now. Um, at this point. Okay. Um, I have a question written down here about a, a company that's based in Reno, but I think I'm going to withhold that question. Um, okay. Cause they may, they, there's a chance that they may be doing, things in a proper manner so i i won't bring their name into this um fair enough let's see you already talked about the jacobs letter a little bit uh oh here's a here's a good question so i know you've filed at least two separate lost or separate things with the sec whistleblower tip and with the sarbanes-oxley related wrongful termination lawsuit. So that's, that's two separate things. Yes, I don't know if you have any other things ongoing, uh, directly with you versus other people's cases, but what do you know what the timeline is for any of any of this stuff? Like, are there any court dates set or anything like that you know, that you're preparing with, for? Well, I, I can tell you, with respect to the SEC, haven't heard anything from them, and, and you could probably reach out to Stu Meisner. He'd probably tell you the same thing, um, other than an initial inquiry. Nothing there. Um, with respect to my suit in a federal court, yes. Uh, yesterday, I think it was just filed. Um, judge signed off on the, um, oh my gosh, what is the term? Uh, the Rule 26F um, Discovery Scheduling Conference. Um, and that, that I just noticed was in Pacer today. Um, I got it off. I hadn't had a chance to really thoroughly look at it, uh, but that's available. Um, it's out there and that gives out a, that gives a timeline. I didn't, I didn't get into the weeds on it. Didn't really look specifically, um, at all of it, but I know that the judge, uh, I think two Mondays ago, last Monday, I don't know, a couple Mondays ago, um, all council got together, um, met for that, uh, that conference and, uh, judge signed off on it yesterday, and so that's available. Uh, maybe Plainsight can post that. 
or something if people are interested in the timeline with respect to my case. Um, I have nothing further on Lynn Thompson or anything else at this point. All right. Anything that I failed to cover that you you wanted to talk about? Man, um, no, I think this was awesome. I, I I cannot think of anything off the top of my head that that just jumps out at me and says, "Let's talk about this." I I can only hope that um, you know I hope that listeners are satisfied, if you will, and I hope that you're you're satisfied. Um, I had a I, this was awesome. Um, and because I don't talk to too many people, uh, like I say, given the opportunity to come on and, and discuss things with you and answer some questions that, um, you know, that, that have been out there and that, that you've put together is just, uh, it's kind of refreshing to me. Uh, it lets me know people are still interested and, and are following. And I really appreciate the hell out of that. Um, so no, there's nothing off the top of my head. Um, anything else that you got that you, uh, you thought of in the last few moments? Uh, one quick thing. Uh, so all these police reports that came out recently uh, and became public, I saw mention of, of different drugs in those. Those it, it sounded like they might all be little one-off instances of, of drug use at work uh, uh-huh. and probably not related to bigger cartel-type issues. Uh, sure. Is, is that the impression that you had as well? Yeah, with respect to those reports, absolutely. It's no secret that on any given day out there, um, there's a myriad of drug investigations, if you will, whether that's paraphernalia, whether that's, you know, a baggy residue, what, whatever it is, there, that, that's always out there. Again, you gotta, you got to realize this place, is, this place is like a small city, and so you're going to have all of that. And I, I, I suspect, um, well, actually, that's all that is reported, if it is reported at all, you know, and those things that came out are, you know, um, indicative of probably personal use, um, if you will. Um, and, and I didn't review all of them, actually, I didn't look at all of them. Um, and I didn't get into large quantities, um, you know, related to distribution. But I think what's important to realize is that, you know, going back to those police reports and back to the one with the theft, if you look at that, the officers went back out and and followed up and tried to, tried to follow up and tried to, you know, tried to, to cooperate and and tell Tesla, we're going to, we're going to cooperate with you. We want your cooperation. We want to investigate these. We want to try and mitigate these problems. The same holds true with the drugs. Um, and I think, you know, the cartel piece came out, Tesla made their statements on that. That's fine. Musk made his statement on that. That's fine. At the end of the day, we'll see where the cards fall with respect to that. But, uh, I would say to answer your question, yes. So I think those are onesies and twosies, personal use, minor, you know, Minor consumption, small consumption. You know what I mean? Nothing, nothing mm-hmm. significant. And again, I haven't read them all. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thanks for coming on again. You're actually only the second two-time guest uh, after Montana Skeptic, actually. What? So, yeah. I'm, I'm sure there <laughs> there will probably be more. Uh, and I'm not going to count Tesla charts because I just broke his interview into two pieces. So uh, it was it was one yeah, interview, interview, but. But Great part one, part two. But um, big thanks for coming on. Well, big thanks for having me, sir. Really, no truly, problem. I appreciate it more than I can. When I tell people, and know this, and know this, I when I tell you I appreciate it more than I, than I can convey in words. I, I mean that. I mean that to you, and I mean that to everybody. Um, it's really hard for me, um, you know. And, and I can articulate well. I can write well, you know. But when it comes down to the personal feelings, it's, it's sometimes a challenge. So. I appreciate it. I really do. Thank you very much. 
Oh yeah, one last thing. Are are you going to sure. drive a Cybertruck up to Alaska along the the highway there? <laughs> if <laughs> If Elon would like to donate his Cybertruck for me to uh to take it up the Alcan, I'd be more than happy. I've done that route about six different times. Um I suspect that uh I suspect that uh I, 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 never mind. I have no opinion on that. But I, <laughs> sure, sure. Tell them to donate one. I'll take hey, it up there. We'll give it a test run. Just put some in reality. Uh, put enough superchargers along the way, and, and it would work <laughs> great. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure it would. I'm sure it would. it's all wheel drive, right? I don't even know. Is it all wheel drive? Uh, the the higher end one is. I don't know which one they actually built. Uh, as far as I know, there's the one single prototype so far. So. Well, oh, if it's an all-wheel drive, we'll go ahead and we'll we'll we'll, we'll give it a real test. Let's, I think, let's say I th- that I would absolutely do it. I would guess they they went ahead and built the uh, the all-wheel drive version, the the tri motor, but but who knows? Who knows? But uh, all right, my friend. All right, it's it's been good. Well, I uh, we'll call this episode number fifty-one of the Tesla Q podcast. Uh, as always, go to uh, Patreon.com/slash Tesla Q podcast if you want to be a contributor. And if you want some shorty merchandise, go to evacuationboy.com. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye.